Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Permanent. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Zola Jesus. Zola Jesus is the pseudonym for singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, producer, Nika Denalova. In this chat, Nika and I discuss her various albums as Zola Jesus, all the way back to her debut album, The Spoils. And we go all the way up to today, where she was originally intending to make a very collaborative new album this year, but the coronavirus and COVID derailed those plans. We also talk a lot about Taiga, her sort of divisive pop album, and what drew her to wanting to make something like that in the first place. We also talk about what it's like for her to perform her intensely personal music, as well as pop music in general, the toxicity of fandoms, and her light obsession with John Cena. We also get into a bit of her Twitter beef from late 2020. The real ones know. So please enjoy, and thank you for listening. This is me meeting Zola Jesus. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was very sure. quick turnaround. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess uh, next week works. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so how how are you? How have you been? I'm all right. You know, surviving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be how spirited. have you? Uh, how have you been uh, in general this year? Uh, I mean, it's been a, it's it's just been a weird year. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to even answer that because mm-hmm. like in some ways it's been fine and in other ways it's been a total upheaval of my like sort of trajectory. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like I try not to like overplay the what I've lost because people have lost so much more this year that I'm like, I'm just happy to be alive. And That's true. Yeah. yeah. I know yeah. it, it has been a weird, I mean, it seems like an understatement to say it's been a weird year, For sure. um, but yeah, it is kind of one of those things where I, I guess, you know, if you're lucky, you can get something, which I, I assume the two of us are lucky enough to say that you, there is some good that can come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, just kind of, it's so hard to just ignore the the, the shitty that, parts the, yeah those for lack of better words <laughs> the shitty parts yeah, yeah. I mean because it's just been so strange and especially I can yeah. imagine as a musician I mean were, were you intending to tour this year uh, I was intending to make a record and then mm. tour on it yeah okay so that so this kind of just completely upheaved to that like you said yeah it's totally derailed my like my album making plans but yeah it's okay I guess do you when that happens or when you get kind of delayed, do you keep making things on your own? I have been trying, but I'm just at a weird sort of stage in my sort of like artistic career where I'm really craving collaboration. Mm. So this was like going to be like my big collaborative record where I really like wrote stuff in the studio and like worked with other musicians a lot. And so now I'm just kind of like, oh man, I'm stuck with myself again. Like, in this, <laughs> like you know, in my hobbit hole studio, like, which is fine, but you know, like I, I want yeah. people. I miss Seems people. ironic that <laughs> of course yeah, this right. is the year. <laughs> yeah, I wish this was the year when I was like, you know, fuck everybody. I'm gonna do my own thing, you know. But now I'm like, oh, I want to collaborate. <laughs> was uh was Okovi pretty much alone? 
it was yeah it was all written alone and then okay. um yeah and then i just worked with like a, a my friend as co-producer to help me kind of like make it sound better but yeah yeah um so you do have a studio at home but yeah you've just been kind of itching to <laughs> to be with yeah. other people was was that your desire before covid too um yes definitely yeah that was okay. kind of my plan was to like okay. go into the studio and really work some stuff out like with a drummer and stuff like that yeah because you for the past few records at least if not all your records have have had a lot of sort of electronics and synthetic beats um so I'd be interested then to see, you know to see what happens when you have live hand driven percussion yeah, me too. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just more more than anything. I just like I need someone to throw a wrench in in my normal way of working because I'm mm. so used to writing on my own and producing a lot of it on my own that like I want someone to give me something that like wouldn't come out of me and then I have to respond to it. You know, it's like that's yeah. like that's kind of creativity is where you take something and then you have to figure out kind of how to make it work and. I did that enough times on my own where now I'm like, okay, I, I get it. Like I, you know, I'm only capable of so much. Like I need some, some outside input. No, I totally feel that. Cause I, I, I also, um, I'm also a songwriter and I, 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 I make, I've been making shit alone in my house for like yeah. years, you know, and it's, and I've, I've just this fall, this past fall been working on something where I was sort of in, asking for help, you know, and it, it is, it's so nice to like, like I basically trusted these people with the demos and I just said, kind of make whatever you want and then I'll, I'll make it work. And it was, I don't know, it's, an, it's nice to have like that other angle in there that you wouldn't have thought of. Totally. I think also like, I mean, are we recording? Should I just keep going? Oh yeah. No, I've been. Yeah, okay. Okay. Good, good. <laughs> um, because um, I, I, I sort of struggle with, okay. So I feel like in the beginning of when I started making music, like individuality was was championed and like independence. I'm like, I did this all on my own. Like, you mm. know, I know I can produce it myself. I can record it myself. I can write it myself. Like I'm a one woman, like, like pop machine or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and that's cool and all, and then like props or whatever, like it feeds your ego. But then at some point I'm just kind of like, wow, all my favorite music was like, written in a collaborative setting. Like all, all of the music that I find to be so timeless and ageless is that way in many ways because of the meeting of minds and the, the, the conflicting creative energies that I feel like even something like Nine Inch Nails, which is you know a solo project, but the way you can tell that so much of the beauty of the Nine Inch Nails discography is, a, is how he chooses to collaborate with people. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think that his music would sound the same if he didn't collaborate. And I, I find that to be, that's something that took me like 10 years to sort of like learn. It's like, oh yeah, I think it is good to work with people. Like, I think that's, <laughs> I think you'd end up with like better work if you just like kind of let go of your ego and just like let people in, you know? Yeah, it, it's sort of like an ego killing exercise to invite people into your fold and kind of see what they do with your material. And it can be really yeah. informative in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's also scary. There but... are a lot of um, projects from across history that even solo projects like Nine Inch Nails or even solo singer songwriters, you know, I think of like Joni Mitchell and Kate Bush, like they are these kind of reigning influential forces, but they didn't do it alone, you know? Yeah. And there's so many people who play on their records and lend such beauty to their records and, you know, a million other people too. Absolutely. So there's definitely something to be said for that. I think there is. I mean, I love, like, I, I love a good solo, solo work. And I love knowing like something like Arthur Russell, you know, where 
Mm. You can just tell it just him and his, you know, his instruments and his mind. And I find that beautiful. And that, that's still some of my favorite stuff, but you know, I got to have variety. I'm ready <laughs> for something different. So. Yeah. And it seems like even though COVID has derailed your plan for now, it's also like all the more reason to kind of shake things up. Like why not? Totally. It's been such a strange, uh, unbalanced time. You may as well kind of see what happens if you just kind of throw caution to the wind a bit. Absolutely. I think this is a good time to really challenge norms. So mm. whatever mm-hmm. you're used to, shake it up. You know, you might as well. I got nothing to lose at this point. Right. Yeah. I know. I think that's kind of the the fuel behind a lot of people doing these like Instagram concerts that like never yeah, would totally. have before. Totally. Like, well, I guess I can and I people might want it. So I guess I'll try this new thing that I've never done. Yeah, it's scary, but I don't know. I like being scared too. So there's that. Have you done any of those? Yeah. Like live, like internet concerts? Yeah, I've done a couple. It's, oh, it's, it's a real frustrating experience because Mm. it's so fun performing and I love the connection, but it is nothing, nothing. There's no spiritual tangibility to performing live stream concerts like there is in person. So right. It's very unfulfilling, but um, but I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> Are you someone who who loves performing? I didn't like, used really to. loves being on stage. I didn't know. I didn't. Use, I used to hate it because okay. I'm just I'm so scared and perfectionist and scared of people. But but um, as I've like realized that I'm not a misanthrope, I've really just enjoyed. <laughs> I've enjoyed like the connective tissue part of music. The the part that how music because I didn't grow up with like a lot of friends or whatever. Like music is my way of like connecting with people and being mm-hmm. like, see, I'm human. You're human. Like we, we're, we're the same. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do like that with performing. Cause I can like look at people and be like, yeah, we're all in the same room together. Yeah. And you really, really don't get that online. Oh no, no, it's true. I think who was I talking to about this? I was for the show. I was talking to Mira mm-hmm. and she was talking about how, um, when she like she's so scared to play these online concerts but she doesn't even really know why because like there's it's such low stakes you know it's like yeah no one's really there but then also at the same time it's potential that you have more people there than you really would otherwise because you have people from all over the world totally. so it's this weird like i don't know it's weird in between i think it'd be very strange yeah. I mean, that's like everything with this internet communication. Like mm-hmm. that's why I'm grateful that you didn't do the video, first of all. Because, I know. <laughs> thank you. Because I, I hate it. I hate video chatting because oh, it is too. so <laughs> hyper real. Yeah. There's like, there's nothing, there, there's no sort of like, you can't equate it to actually being in front of somebody, you know, like yeah. I might as well just like pretend like we're on the phone because that's yeah. like, I've evolved enough to understand like phone talking, but like not like this video chatting where it's like, I still don't really, I can't perceive your body language well enough to be able to like benefit from it. I know it's, it's super strange. I, I decided right away that I was only going to do these as audio, even though it's zoom, which seems to confuse a lot of people. Like I'm like, no, it's zoom, but yeah, I put makeup on for this. So you better just appreciate that. (laughs) So did Mira. Speaking of Mira, when we first got on, she's like, wait, I didn't have to put on mascara. And I'm I like, know. no, and it's true because video chatting is just, it's for some reason it's weirder than audio chatting because like you said, it, I can kind of pretend we're on a phone call. Yeah. Like, yes, I have headphones on and I'm speaking into a microphone, but I can pretend we're on a phone call and it seems a little bit, a little bit more casual and thus a little bit easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And also just like the watching yourself talk. 
Oh, I hate in, in no in no way is that normal. Where it's like, as I'm talking to somebody, I'm also seeing a reflection of myself talking to them. It's totally like for me, I just can't even fathom that that's okay. No, because I I think of even in real life people with like super reflective sunglasses and how exactly. much I hate it. Scary. I hate it because you can't see their eyes really, yeah. and you only see you, and it's very disorienting. And yeah, I uh, I'm a high school teacher, so I see myself. Aww. That's awesome. I see myself on camera all the time. <laughs> Super weird. I'm used to it in that context, but when we have like meetings, I mine is off. My camera's off. Yeah, good. Because I'm like, I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't jump across that valley for you. I'm not ready yet either. <laughs> no. And I think hopefully we are sort of rounding a corner. So hopefully it won't be too much longer of, of this yeah. very, very online existence we've all oh, been leading. It's yeah, it's really like, I used to be really into dystopian science fiction, like my whole adult life and child mm. life. And now I just can't even go near anything. Well, now, now it's like documentary. Real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't even, you like you, I, I know how the story ends. Like anyone right. that reads this, like this or is into dystopian fiction, it's like, we all know how it ends. And like seeing us move further towards that is so like heinous and scary right. where I'm just like, me back to yeah, when it was just fun to read about this <laughs> i know last um last spring i was in a graduate english course and we were it was it was a uh, dystopian novel course and of course it started like before covid really hit oh. us and then midway through we were like wow this is getting really weird because we were reading like oryx and crake and like yeah. you know atwood and 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 uh a lot of short stories that were really kind of prescient and and relatable and it was like it was getting weird yeah, it, it gets it's just, like it's just uncomfortable now. Yeah, it freaks me out. I can't yeah. do it. It's, it's... <laughs> um, so your I wanted to talk a bit about the last album. Um, it's sort of funny when I have people on here when there's really nothing to promote. Um, so thank you for coming on because some people have said, like, no, I'm gonna wait and like, I'll wait and consider like when I have you know something, but I'm yeah. glad you said yes to come on and just chat. Oh, um I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> so your last album, your fifth album, um, Okovi came out in 2017. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like a lifetime ago, yeah. 2017. Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe yeah. partially because this year has felt like 18 years, but yeah. even beyond that, it just feels like so, so long ago that I, you know, that I've done release day. I like, you know, listen to it in my car or whatever on my way to work. Like I just, it feels like forever ago. Yeah. Um, but I just listened to it again today still good um, <laughs> um it sounded at the time and it still does it sounded like i mean correct me if i'm wrong but it sounded like your most personal record up to that point um or at the very least maybe your most candidly personal record um yeah. there was a lot of kind of brutal forthright kind of honesty in a lot of the songs um i mean i specifically remember when I first heard Witness, I like got teary in my car, <laughs> which does not happen for me very easily. Um, but it's stuff like that. It's It was very, very um, blunt and honest in a way that I think a lot of people aren't. Um, what So what draws you then to being so upfront, like instead of hiding behind, you know, a litany of metaphors and things like that? What what, what draws you to being so open? Um. I guess I'm just, that's just how I am. Like I'm, mm. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty blunt. Like it's, I'm not really good with poetry. And actually before I was talking to you, I was going through all my like writing to work on lyrics for my next record. Mm -hmm. And I hate lyrics because 
I can't dress it up. Like the music is the dressing. And then right. the lyrics are me just going, wow, this sucks. <laughs> or like, <laughs> I feel this way. Or like, I don't know, I can't. And especially when I'm singing, like just the de the declarative nature of how I sing, it's like mm -hmm. I couldn't be like super like mystical or whimsical in my lyrics because it just doesn't work. Like, you know, I can't be like, you know, the glistening sunlight <laughs> on the windowsill or whatever, you know, you're just. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it just maybe. It just yeah, maybe. But it like, I don't know, like and then. I don't know. I just lyrics to me always kind of are the um the the purge, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the purge. It's like the cuz they're so connected to the voice that um it's cathartic to just kind of say it, you know? Um right. but I'm also it could just be lack of sort of like poetic integrity, I guess, too. I don't know. <laughs> well, do you do you write lyrics first? I don't. Well, okay. no, yeah, definitely not. It usually is music and then vocal melody and then lyrics. Right. Okay. I know. I've always, as a songwriter myself, I've always written lyrics first. And I every person I ask says that's not what they do. And I feel like maybe I should try, you know, speaking of trying new things, maybe I should try to do that because No, I respect <laughs> that. No, I respect that because this is I don't know thing. why. It's just where I start. That's great because that should lead that that leads the song and that is the song. Like when you think about it, and I was just thinking about this wishing I wrote lyrics first. Because <laughs> The lyrics are the, they're the core, they're the story and the narrative. And so then that should tell you what it should sound like. That should tell you how it should be performed. The lyrics. So then when I start a song and I have no lyrics, I'm like, well, what am I singing about? You know, mm. like that gets really, I get, um, I end up kind of getting roadblocked from a song more because of that, because I'm like, oh, I have a song, but what am I going to say? Mm -hmm. So good to have what you're going to say first and then like do everything <laughs> else later. See, but it's funny you mention, I mean, somewhat sarcastically, a lack of poetic integrity, yeah. but it's funny you mentioned that because it reminded me a bit of that uh, Mount Erie record, um, A Crow Looked At Me. Mm. Um, I don't know if you heard that. Is that a new one? It's from like two or three years ago. Okay, yeah, I haven't heard that one yet. But I It's um, brutal because it's all about um, Phil Elverum's wife passing away. Oh, yeah. And it's like that kind of writing where it's just the fact like it's just the truth of it there's like even he said like these are barely songs like it's barely poetry i'm just like this is what's happening yeah but there's a, i don't think it's exactly um i don't think it's a lack of poetic integrity i think it's just like i don't know a lack of filter almost or like a conscious decision to just tell tell it like it is yeah yeah because i feel like i got that i mean i've always kind of gotten that from your work you've never been a writer who, as I say, hides behind a whole bunch of metaphors, but I just think that Okovi was very upfront mm -hmm. because there are songs like Witness and Siphon, which are very clearly about suicide and Sink, which I believe I remember correctly was about like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like these really, really like brutal things, but you're not cloaking them in anything. You know, it's just very upfront. Yeah. Is yeah. it hard to perform songs like that? Uh, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> if they're like a song like witness is hard because it's not about me. It's, it's a very specific song about a very real thing. And it's directed at somebody that I care about a lot. Mm -hmm. So then singing that every night, it feels just very like, um, vulnerable, you know, invasive. Like I feel bad. I feel <laughs> like I shouldn't be like, I'm like, should I be 
singing this because it's really raw for me and it's raw probably for the person that I'm writing it about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those songs were really easy and, and really easy to write because mm -hmm. again, when you, when you're for me, it's easier to write songs for people like than it is to write songs about myself. That's where I'm really struggling right now. Um, with my writing because a lot of the stuff I went through in the past several years happened to me instead of like someone I care about. And right. I, I, I can empathize with other people like more easily than I can empathize with myself. So <laughs> that's, it's been a process, but yeah. Well, also not there. I don't know what you've been writing about, but there hasn't been a lot of stuff happening this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's not a fertile ground right now. Definitely not just a lot of the same, same view. I mean, I guess you could write a really conceptual album about just the, the vacancies and the nothingness of COVID times. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. There's something, there's going to be something coming out of I the I mean, woodwork. there's a lot to be angry about right now. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's not just COVID, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, this might be um, a punk record. <laughs> that sounds bitching. Don't, yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so the first album I heard of yours, and I imagine the first album a lot of people heard of yours was The Spoils. Um back in, I guess it came out in 09, but I probably heard it a year or two later because I feel like I was maybe like a senior in high school or something. Mm -hmm. um, but I was just, I remember being very kind of struck by how lo-fi it was. Um, it's super crunchy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> super lo-fi, and I and I don't mean crunchy in a derisive way. I mean no, just, no, I know. just is. It's very there's a there's a layer of noise to it, and I just remember like kind of being entranced by that, like how kind of questioning before I knew anything about it or you, like how does something like this kind of find a way in the blogosphere? Because Good question. <laughs> I mean, I know artists rarely know how these things happen, um, but I, I, I must have seen it on like Pitchfork or something. I must have seen a review for it. And I was like, oh, that has an interesting cover or something. And I checked it out. But it did get kind of a little wave of buzz so much so that when Stridulum came out a year or two later, um, you know, you were being covered. Mm -hmm. And I just remember it being kind of like, a low-key like inspiration to like DIY people <laughs> like how did this fuzzy lo-fi out of nowhere kind of record kind of make the rounds um but leading up to that was you getting signed with Sacred Bones um who have released most of your albums I I'm forgetting now which ones they didn't Tyga um, is the only one they did Tyga okay I knew they released all but one um, so how did you link up with them? Because they're they're a pretty, um, I don't know exactly how they were in 09, but they're a pretty like well thought of robust label these days. Oh, well, um, we kind of grew up together, like not actually, but in terms of getting, getting kind of a foothold in music. Like mm. I was one of the first records that they picked up and, and put out. And, um, and so it's been a really satisfying and gratifying experience watching them grow just because I'm like oh yeah my boys are like you know it's like those are my, my those are my those are my people um mm -hmm. but uh yeah they just it was honestly through my space like I had posted some oh, stuff and, oh, R -I -P. <laughs> rip miss it as my students would say rip rip <laughs> so zoomer I know um, but uh yeah so posted some songs on MySpace and then had some mutual friends. Cause I was 
you know, I had like a community, I was part of a community or a scene in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and so there was, you know, there was people making music and that had friends in music. And so I think Sacred Bones eventually saw, saw my music through MySpace and wanted to put out a seven inch. So that's how it all started. And here we are still together. Yeah. yeah and I, I have, since then, I have heard your even crunchier, <laughs> even lower fi earlier stuff like um, Sarbama and yeah. And New Amsterdam was that before did you make those before the spoils yeah and the the funny thing I was just thinking about this when you're talking about how crunchy the spoils is, is <laughs> when I made Sarboma which was very crunchy before I handed it in I like I was like oh maybe it's not noisy enough maybe it's too <laughs> poppy so then I lay then I fed all the songs through more distortion so it was basically just like a noise record and every so often you could hear my voice but then like <laughs> But then like against or or with better judgment, I decided that wasn't the way to go. But um, but yeah, I just really like noise. Yeah, so so all that stuff was done around the same time, actually. Okay. Yeah. What did you uh what did you make those in, if you remember? Um, the spoils was made in Audacity oh, okay, and cool. so was Sarboma. Yeah, and then maybe I did like logic. Stridulum was logic. Okay. That was my big like I cleaned up and I got logic. <laughs> yeah. That was like your I cleaned up, I got my act together. Yeah. It's like, like, okay. Like, no, I just got a better program. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I it's so cool that you used Audacity because that's like what every like kid in their bedroom uses. And it's like I love use anyway. I love it. Actually, I still use it because I love the effects and how it like distorts sound. And it it's really good for sound manipulation if you want something to sound really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just always think of, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I always, whenever people mention Audacity, I think of the first Toon Yards record, um, oh. Bird Brains, because when I got the vinyl of that, which was obviously years after it came out, um, it came with this little card that basically was Meryl Garbus saying, I made this whole thing on Audacity. If I can do it, you can too. Oh, and I was like, that is so that's nice. So, I love that. That's <laughs> and that's so what cool. I always think of because it's it's like, you the tools are out there you know it's just yeah. don't don't not everything is like so cost prohibitive if you want to make something and you have the, the the material on your end like you can usually find a way and I just thought that was such a nice totally. little message I appreciate <laughs> my little that like too. 17 year old heart <laughs> yeah but I like that too because it just it, it, there's humility there where you're like mm -hmm. look like you can do this I don't know yeah no it takes that sort of like untouchability out of music yeah. that I think a lot of people, a lot of fans feel like, well, oh, this is really good. I could never do this. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, like you mentioned on, on Stridulum, you, I've always said Stridulum. Now you've changed my world. Oh, it's okay. You can do it, whatever you <laughs> um, want. I'm probably going to butcher all of your album titles. That's um, why I make them like that. <laughs> <laughs> so like you said, on, on Stridulum, you um, cleaned up and your sound got a lot clearer. There was still a lot of reverb. You are a fan of reverb. I am also a fan of reverb or G-verb, I think, as it's called in Audacity, <laughs> if I remember <laughs> yes. correctly. Um, and then Conatus, is that how you'd say it? Uh, I say Conatus or Conatus. Conatus, Conatus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Be whatever you want. Um, was that also probably Logic? Because that was kind of like even more of a honed sound yeah, that was ableton then i was ableton, like okay. i'm yeah i wanted to kind of shake things up so I right you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna fork it over and yeah. buy ableton 
No, I didn't buy Ableton. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy Ableton until like two years ago. I was like, okay, oh, no. I'll finally buy it. <laughs> I know. I have like a trial version on my computer. That yeah, you like just like keep, like, I think if you like could turn your computer's date back, it would like, <laughs> the trial could keep going. I have like a light version. It came with my uh, my MIDI keyboard and I just, I, I'm like, it's like $400. I'm not, <laughs> I can't fork that over right now. It's insane. It's, it's insane. so expensive. See, that is a little cost prohibitive. There are other ways yeah. around that, um, yeah. as you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, so now, you know, looking back on basically your uh, pre-Okovi songs or maybe especially pre-Taiga songs, um, what's your relationship now with your older songs, like like from Canadas or Stridulum? Um, it's gone through it's gone through many sort of changes or m- many sort of moods of. But right now, I feel very nostalgic and appreciative of the little the little you know songwriter I was back then, <laughs> uh, because I think I. Um, as I've written a lot of songs and and kind of burrowed further into this hole that I've dug for myself as a musician, like it gets harder as you go along. And so I was kind of appreciating the 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 spirit and the innocence of mm. my earlier stuff and the playfulness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you feel, do you feel like your work has gotten more serious since then? No, but I feel like my my attitude to it, my okay. my writing process has become more belabored, and um, it's hard to fight past the self hatred. <laughs> every with every record, I'm like, oh, I hate myself so much. I can't. Yeah, I none get of it. my ideas are worthy. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas before, I had nothing. Like, not that I have anything to lose now, but just in terms of like what I expect of myself, like my expectations are so high. Like, yeah. I'm like, I should be writing like a Haydn like level, like piece by now. Like I should be better than this. And I can't, I'm not, I'm not any better. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, uh, is music your, your main career now? Yeah. Yeah. W- when did that start? Do you know? Um, when I got fired from my <laughs> last job in 2010 or Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So you've been able you've been able to sustain on music for at least the past decade. Yeah, feast it's uh, feast or famine, really. <laughs> oh, sure, <laughs> you know you've been just... able to survive one way yeah. or another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's good. I mean, not everyone not everyone can do that. So that I mean, that's that's a so success grateful. right there. Yeah, yeah. That and yeah, that's really all I care about right now. Is it's like I'm able to do what I love. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> right. No, I know that's so important. Yeah. Um. So then after Canatus came out you released Taiga, which if you go, you know, if you Google you, <laughs> which I'm sure you never do. Um, God, no. <laughs> Taiga is a bit of a controversial record in your discography, I've I found. And I was, um, I, I, I write for Beats Per Minute and I was in the the slack telling them that I was going to be talking to you. And they like, they, they were like, oh my God, ask her about Taiga. <laughs> um, because I, re- and I remember when Taiga was coming out, it was like, it was like uh, sold by PR or maybe by you as like your big pop album. Yeah. Was that your intention? Yeah. Okay. So you did, it was like you you oh, wanted yeah. to make a big pop album. Yeah. And you can tell, I mean, when I just went back and listened to a, a, a few songs before we were talking and it's definitely your cleanest album. Yeah. Um, sonically and has like really big choruses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I know, I know you're a lover of pop. Um, but what made you want to go in that direction? Uh, I wanted, I'm going to be really blunt. 
there's only one way I can say it, but like, I wanted to, accept, I wanted to be accepted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like a normal accepted, like musician, like, you know, musician. Like I wanted to be a part of like the mainstream conversation because, um, I was so used to making like music that, that like, I felt like you had to be into a certain type of music in order to get it, like all the noisy stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, when people, you know, so many blogs and stuff were writing so much stuff at that time. And I would read all of it because I was obsessed with the validation, you know, <laughs> cause I was like a young little kid excited, but yeah. you know, they're all like, lo-fi goth etc goth etc which house which house dark wave <laughs> i was like this spooky spook spookster and that's mm-hmm. cool and i am a spooky spookster but like <laughs> there was a part of me that just wanted to be good like i wanted just to be good based on the merit of my songs and i, I didn't want to feel like there was any gatekeeping to what i was saying because I do feel like my music the thing that i love about music is that it is a universal language and there's nothing more powerful than feeling like you can translate your emotions and feelings and people that are on the other side of the world or have ideas that are completely diametrically opposed to yours can still find meeting ground with the music, you know, because mm-hmm. I just like that. It's a unifier. And so I just wanted, I, I wanted to see how far I could take that. And, um, but I really, really quickly realized that like, I'm not, um, I'm not a normal person. I don't like to I don't I didn't like the stuff that I had to do in order to feel like I was accepted by the mainstream those aren't my people like mm-hmm. I'm just not one of those people and it's fine it's like there are people that make that that can do that like I just I just couldn't and so I could yeah that was just like a very interesting trial but it really taught me like what my um principles are what my priorities are who I want to do this for what's important to me and um yeah, it just answered a lot of questions. And so then I was like, oh, okay. Yep. I did that, did the pop album and now I can move on. So, so that realization is sort of what drove you to do something like Okovi then. Yeah. 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 Cause Okovi is a very, you know, for a very witchy album in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, there's the, the kind of whispering that happens throughout and there is sort of a lot of atmosphere to it. And there's not really a lot of atmosphere on Taiga. It is a yeah. very like, straightforward album yeah but um I guess that was kind of your intention though definitely yeah Yeah. I I didn't want anything that was like that was could be called witch or goth or anything (laughs) but well I think you succeeded in in that sense and there are I mean do you do you still like the songs as the songs I'm super proud of the songs because that was a period when I was really focusing on you know my chops as a songwriter as a producer as a singer as you know everything like I just really wanted to master the craft of musicianship Mm -hmm. but um but along the way I think I lost a lot of the uh I lost a lot of my vibe that makes that makes me really special and I didn't realize how important like one's own unique voice is like your artistic voice because mm-hmm. with Tyga, I kind of tried to erase it and because I thought it wasn't like I thought that was the problem with me I was like oh yeah I've got too much vibe or <laughs> like wait no my that's all I care about actually is like you know the stuff that makes me different from other people like that's what I like anyway so yeah I just decided to lean into that now do you do you or, or will you still sing Tyga songs live yeah, I love it. Okay. I mean, I love those songs. Yeah, I love those songs. And I loved, 
making that record. And I, I love that record. It's just, it was just an experiment, you know, right. in terms of the style of it. Right. Um, yeah. And I say, I know you love pop music because uh, I feel like I've <laughs> embarrassingly, I've probably tweeted this at you before. Um, but every time I think of you, every time I hear the middle, oh, I <laughs> Love that song. And that video of sense. you singing it in your house will just live on forever <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> oh man, that song is, that's a, just like a dose of syrup right there. I love it. <laughs> I was, uh, I think when you posted that, which was like years ago at this point, um, I think I was like working retail at that time. So it was always, oh, on. I'm so sorry. No, but then like <laughs> you, you must have posted that like months after me hearing it like daily. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just love a song like better in my head now. Ah, but you gotta appreciate a song like the middle. Like, can we just take a second? And this is why <laughs> I love pop music, is because like you have a song like the middle, which will reach everywhere, not mm -hmm. just the middle, it'll reach the top, middle, and the bottom. Like it will, no matter where you are, it will find you. That song will yep. find you. And it's just kind of like this thing that follows you around. It's almost kind of like magical in that way. And and the the pop songwriting is so euphoric. Like there's something so cathartic about pop songs mm -hmm. and then, and how it unifies people again. Like, I don't know. I just, but I think it's just such a perfect, the middle is a perfect capsule, like a, a pop capsule. Yeah. And there is something to, 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 to be said and to honor a song that, like you say, can go so far because yeah. it's so ubiquitous. It was at least so ubiquitous. You heard it everywhere. It was on TV shows. It was in commercials. It was in the mall. It was in the grocery store. Like it was everywhere. And I mean, good, good for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I like that though, because I, that during that period, um, that was like one of the hardest periods of my life. Like I went through just like incredible life, tra life transition changes. And that song I would be crying in the grocery store and it would be on. I'd be crying in the car and it would be on. I'd be crying in my house and it would be on. I'd be crying in the dentist <laughs> office. It would be on. And so like I started associating this song with like my descent into like chaos and madness. Mm -hmm. And as it as it does follow you everywhere, like it it just felt like this this like um familiar or something. Like it felt like this thing that I was just with my it was like my sadness personified yeah it was like a little a little friend <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> um what are do, what are some pop songs from from this year that you've liked uh-uh no none except um Dua Lipa I, I really like you know I haven't gotten into her yet I, I I'm not like I'm not like not into her I just I haven't given her a listen yet but everyone loves her she just does it. She does it right. She's 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 not trying to do anything other than just make you dance. And I mm. really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I could appreciate I like that. I also yeah. I really liked I don't know, I guess it counts. I really liked the the Jesse Ware album. Oh, I haven't heard that one, but I love it. Oh, it's her. it's really good. Um that song Spotlight is like, oh my God. Oh man. <laughs> it's so good. Um I, the only other pop song I can think of in the past year that I genuinely really like, um, is actually never really over by Katy Perry. Yeah, if but when they overcome, yeah, that's a, that is a, that's an I earworm. love that. I actually really <laughs> like that song. Yeah, I didn't listen to any of the rest of that album because I'm sure I won't like it. But I love that song. That's a good ass song. Yeah, that was a really really you good. Can't one. deny it. <sighs> um. So anyway, <laughs> um. So you have a couple times um re-recorded songs. And you've done sort of reinventions of your songs. Um, 
you know, you did the versions, uh, the string versions of, of a lot of the Canetas songs. You did Sea Talk, which a lot of people probably don't even know came from Sarboma. Yeah. Um, what do you get out of reinventions? Like, why do you, what makes you approach a project and, and want to reinvent it? Another chance to do it better. Hmm. That's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, well, songs are, songs are living things. Like, it's proven to me when I perform them every night on stage and how they mm -hmm. evolve over time. Um, like once you write a song, it's not like that the, the recording is the instance. It's like the song that is just one performance. That's one iteration of the song, but the song should evolve and grow through time. So I like that because it, then it, it allows me to develop a relationship with the songs instead of just being like, yeah, this is a song I wrote a long time ago and the recording is from a long time ago. It's like, no, this song <laughs> is still alive. It doesn't, I wrote it in the past, but the song is reborn every time mm -hmm. I perform it or record it. And so I like that. I think it's more romantic. Yeah, I like that idea that you're kind of keeping it alive, so to speak, and editing it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it. I can, might as well just keep it. Oh, you can do whatever you want to it. Yeah. <laughs> I know the versions album was um, a nice surprise, kind of hearing those really angular synthy mm -hmm. songs in in sh with string sections. That was that was I always kind of like when artists, oh. you know, totally reinvent the sound of a song. Yeah, I like it too. Keep yeah, um, I, I was just thinking it it'd be really cool if like someday you you did like a strings tour. Oh yeah, that's well, that's my dream. But that would be exquisite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I yeah, Oof, the dreams. So many <laughs> dreams involving strings right now. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even your even your voice, you mentioned your your style of singing before is quite sort of operatic in a way. Um, so I feel like it fits very well with strings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um we were are you a trained vocalist? Like, did you have classical training? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Is that is that was it like opera training? Yeah, that was my original goal was to be an okay. opera singer. Yeah, and still is, you know, in my own in my own way. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so we, you have always. We're gonna, we're gonna transition a bit. You have always, um, seemingly maintained a relatively open relationship with fans. Um, I remember years ago, I guess at this point, uh, on your Tumblr, you posted like an AMA thing, like basically asking, "Do you have any questions on creativity or songwriting or what, what, whatever it was?" Um, and then on Twitter, you are very funny <laughs> and very candid. Um, wh what do you, in a good, okay, let's speak of good things first. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you get personally out of having that kind of open channel with fans? Um, well, I guess for me, there's only, there's, I'll just say there's only two ways of doing it. I either don't talk to anybody and everything is very controlled, which is, I've done that in the past, or I kind of just have to like engage with everything very open-heartedly. It's really hard for me to just like have like, I, I do have boundaries of course, but like, <laughs> I feel like, look, if I'm going to be real with people, I'm again, the bluntness, I'm going to be real. Like I can't be half real. I can't do a half sees kind of thing or like, mm -hmm. um, and I, and just like my just general sort of sense of compassion for people, it's like I regard fans of my music as just like other humans who happen to have good taste. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I just, 
that's kind of the point for me of, of making music is connecting with humanity. And um, if I was to act as if my fans weren't part of that, like exchange, it would be a little empty for me. So um, yeah, and, and as, as the years have gone on and especially since I've gotten a Patreon and the music industry has changed a lot, I've really just realized what's important. And at the end of the day, it really is like that relationship because that is all that matters. It doesn't matter what like sponsorships you get or what like whatever tour you're on, I don't know, whatever stupid capitalist goals <laughs> are met within a world that I don't respect. Like what I do respect is like, just like the act of music. And so I wanna respect the people that listen to what I have to say and appreciate it because that's all that matters. Yeah, and, and, and music is a conversation. I mean, you, you make a song and you release it and then hopefully a lot of people hear it and find something they like in it and they're drawn to you. And then it, but that conversation doesn't need to end after you leave the, the studio, you know? So it's like, yeah. we can keep having this relationship. And like you say, there are obviously boundaries when I say relationship, it's not like you're best friends with your fans, but that sort of ongoing connection of like, well, you like something I've made and you are another human being. Like I'm still here. I'm not just only making music and then disappearing from the earth. Yeah, I mean, I, I could do that too, but there's not <laughs> enough, there's also not a lot of security for musicians. So I just kind of like to touch it, touch base and be like, we, we okay? Are you guys still there? <laughs> we, we're good? Okay, cool. Yeah. How we doing fam? <laughs> yeah, how we doing? We're good. Um, still here, not dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, especially just like becoming more active on social media, it just, it's really hard not to like, you know, I'm just, a, I'm kind of, yeah, just as you know, following my Twitter, it just, I say dumb stuff and I'm impulsive and just like everybody else have like a weird relationship with social media. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's like mostly met with shame and <laughs> resignation. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Um, so adjacent to your Twitter, I, I must ask, what is the deal with The Rock? What is the deal with the, the no, not The Rock. It's Dwayne John, or not. Uh, Isn't uh, it Dwayne Johnson? My, no, it's John Cena. John Cena. I knew <laughs> yeah. it was some large man. Yeah. I love The Rock. I loved The Rock. Okay. But now I've moved on. John Cena just like usurps. Yeah. What, what is Dwayne it about Johnson. John Cena for you? I don't know. I don't know. Because I've been like, I've, I mean, I've been a fan of yours for a while. I followed you on Twitter for a while. And you've been talking about John Cena for a while. Yeah. He just like, it's Didn't something. he just follow you? He did. He did. But I think he followed a lot of people. Like, <laughs> so I'm feeling a little, a little hurt about that. Like I yeah. was hoping I had a chance, but I'm hoping he still <laughs> sees my tweets. But, well, uh, he did follow you. So maybe. I know. Um, is it just like an attraction? It's, I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just, I, I need to know more. I'm curious. I'm really he's curious. interesting to you. He's very interesting. He's so He's so large. He is. You know? so, I guess that's why I mixed him up with The Rock. He's very large. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of like got like a caveman vibe. Like, I don't know. It's he's he's in. I just I don't know. <laughs> he bullish. was. I don't know if you saw that Amy Schumer movie with him. Yeah, that might have started it. Actually, He was very, I, very funny in that movie. He was like shockingly funny. I really liked it. I liked the idea of just like, I, I liked his character as like yeah. being kind of like in the closet, like, but like extremely buff and like, like and also extremely obviously in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. Like such like a conflicted relationship with his own masculinity. I just, yeah, I, yeah, I, I really like that. I so just maybe always found just, it funny. <laughs> I just think it's such, it's such a like marriage that I would never have made in my mind. 
Of Amy Schumer and him? No, of you and me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you, maybe to you, you're like, no, it makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess because I'm also like into weightlifting and stuff. Like I'm kind oh. of a bro. So <laughs> there might be something there where I'm like, yeah, man, I can deadlift. Or <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, hopefully, you know, he's obviously going to listen cool. to this. So obviously he will yes. um, <laughs> hear John, your, your opinions. Up? Send her a DM, John. Yeah. Slide in. <laughs> Slide in, bud. Now that now he follows you, so like I think that means you can DM him. Howdy, John. I'm pretty sure. I think that's how it works usually. I'm um, gonna try that. <laughs> just the little cowboy cowboy emoji. Just the emoji. <laughs> <laughs> no context. <laughs> and then he'll leave you on red for who knows how long. Forever. <laughs> or his like agent will whoever checks yeah. his Twitter. Um, so you mentioned on Twitter that you say stupid things sometimes. Um, should we should we skip over the recent events? I mean, we could <laughs> we can discuss them if you well, you know, it might be good because I feel like a lot of what I said was taken out of context. And so Okay. I, I will say for the, I will say for the I mean maybe we just like won't say her name because I feel like she'll hack my internet if I say her name. Yeah, she, um, oh, she's got eyes. <laughs> actually, never mind. She won't. Her fans will. Um I will say, I I thought what you said was pretty true. Because I saw, I did see it. Um, I know you took it down, and I truly, truly don't blame you. Um, Actually, at Beats Per Minute, we um, we did a review of the. I'll say her name because we're not talking about her. The Miley album. Oh yeah. And it was pretty negative. And uh, the writer asked our editor to take it down because he was getting. So horrific. he was getting threatened of, of doxing and he was getting threatened and it's just horrible. Like fandoms are so horrible. Yeah. So I totally get why you took it down, but I did see it for the like 19 minutes it was up. Um, yeah, no, for a while. Cause I really wanted the, the Swifties to feast on it, uh, but <laughs> you, like, you I liked them it. A snack. You gave them a gave little, them a little snack. <laughs> gave them a little something to chew on. It's like, look, you guys can m- t- interpret this however you'd like for six hours. Right. Uh, fun's over. You're all wrong. Later. <laughs> um, so why don't you maybe explain what you meant then? Okay. So it was just a, like a, a pre-caffeinated <laughs> breakfast tweet, um, which I want to do where, you know, she dropped, just well, yeah, dropped mm-hmm. an album, <laughs> um, her second one this this year, which is all it's all fine. Like honestly, yeah. I've got nothing against my little, yeah, but yeah. I do. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like the people in Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like trying to just like I don't Speak want backwards. the cap to get it or whatever. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I uh, she released two albums this year, and it's all fine and dandy. But like her being like you know, out in the woods, like gripping a coffee cup by the fire or whatever. And like, you know, her like pumpkin spice records. And that's, that's super chill. Like, actually, I think she's a, a great songwriter. I think she has a lot of integrity. I really like how she's advocated um, in the music industry for, for a lot of stuff. So I don't really have anything against her. Like, I'm not like anti Taylor Swift, but I, I just thought it was funny that um, she would release t- two records in a year, in a year where like, I've been prevented from releasing any because mm-hmm. of COVID. So I was just kind of like, oh man, it hurts. Like she, like it was just kind of like two stakes in my heart for every record <laughs> anyone releases. There's like another stake in my heart or whatever. Right. Um, she, but she happened to release two. She happened to release two, which was just like kind of like digging in the wound. And they're bit. long. 
Yeah. And they're, they're long and they're, you know, she really like was able to access like different parts of herself. She felt so free and liberated. <laughs> and she had this great like cast of collaborate collaborators with her and like, you know, and, it, and it's just funny. Cause like, I've, I've spent time, like I, I've been to the the like the Aaron Dessner's like studio or whatever before. And so I like I know I see the setting. I see it all taking place. <laughs> like I can I can visualize her like beautiful moment there. Like yeah. she's really like coming into her own as a songwriter and and it's cool. It's like awesome, but it's just funny because it's like her like she's working with like Haim and Boney Vare and National on this album. And and so she's like she's obviously like trying to do some like oh yeah this is all indie music and like I'm kind of like I can do an indie thing and that's cool like I don't care about what people do it just yeah. was the, um it was more of a conversation about classism because I just thought it was interesting how she was like working with all these indie people who are currently out of business because they can't yeah. tour can't work on records so now they're working on Taylor Swift's record <laughs> you know because like mean, she you, can do it like she I, can pay for yeah it. Like I know she has all the money in the world and she has lots of connections and she could have asked, you know, the Desners or or, or Justin Vernon anytime, but there is something curious about the fact to me that this year, and they recorded them this year in quarantine, um, yeah. that this is the year she gets the like the trifecta, you know, yeah. of of these indie dudes who are pretty respected and probably probably quite expensive. Um yeah, but like I ask myself, would would folklore and whatever more have happened two years ago? You know? Yeah. I, or at least would they have happened this way? I'm not yeah. sure. But again, but it's I, whether, I know it's, I know it wasn't personal. Yeah, yeah it, whether it happened, whether it happened at all, it doesn't matter. Like I listen, yeah. like the records are good, like whatever. Like they actually, I was gonna say, they actually are the most I've enjoyed a Taylor Swift album. Yeah, she she I really is hitting her stride. Like I'm 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 proud of her. Like I'm stoked for her. I don't have anything against her. It was literally yeah. just like a joke because of the um, the decimation of the independent music industry, right. which is what I'm thinking about all the time. So whenever I make Twitter jabs at people, it <laughs> always has to do with like class politics or the fact that like billionaires are ruining like the economy, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, because I, you know, as someone that is a middle-class working musician, like I don't have the luxuries of, like I, I have a pri I have privilege, but I don't have enough of the luxuries where I can just like pretend like people aren't dying or pretend like it's impossible to survive making music anymore. Like all of mm -hmm. my friends are in the um, are in the underground scenes, and you know it's frustrating that my my friends in the underground scene could survive making music, making very difficult, you know, idiosyncratic music in the past. And now they can't. Yeah. And I just find that that's not the music's problem. That's the music industry's problem. Right. And the fact that people used to be able to survive off their art and now they can't is just really concerning to me because that's what I do. And that's what my friends do. And I'm a part of a community that, that exists because of, you know, this, you know, surviving off of art. So mm -hmm. I, I I really strongly want to advocate for bringing awareness to like how, you know, the problems of streaming and stuff like that. But anyway, Taylor Swift can do whatever she wants. Of course, <laughs> I got a lot of Swifties coming after me saying, who am I? It's like I coming know. on my, finding me on Instagram and going, who are you? And then I'm like, <laughs> who are you? Like, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> yeah. why? And also, then they're like- they know who you are because they searched you. <laughs> yeah, also like if you, if you, 
if it, this is what I don't understand. Like if I was a nobody, why do you care? Like, true. why would you go after me? Like, but they always I, do that. It's true. And they I don't, always do that. And they're not people who they go after are not, they're seldom even musicians like yourself. It's you know, so they, strange. They are usually either, you know, reviewers who get paid 50 bucks a month to write a review, if anything, or they're just random fans who didn't like something. And then this, the, the fandoms go after these people. It's, it's so weird. It's like the same people that are upset that like, that like the new like MacBook isn't like fancy enough or something, or like someone wrote a bad review about a MacBook. It's this consumer energy where they're like defending their choice to consume Taylor Swift. Yeah. Or they're defending their like loyalty to a brand. It's loyalty. I think that's it's, what it it's is. It's brand loyalty, but because... it's like, yeah, it's to the point where it's like, I feel like my fans are loyal, but they know better than to go after people. Like, <laughs> God bless the people in my mentions that were like, that, I felt like it was like a, like a civil war battle, yeah. you know, between like a team, like a, there was like, we were way outnumbered, but like good riddance. I don't want to get into like the field. Of, yeah. <laughs> but like these, these are also just like a bunch of 15 year olds who don't understand the context of what I was saying and don't even care because they're not even thinking about they're not even like they thought I was a millionaire. They were like yeah. trying to tell me that I'm a millionaire. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm not, I'm nowhere near what Taylor Swift is, you know? And and so why are you ganging up on me? <laughs> like, leave me alone. Also, it's also um really weird once you l actually look into the people who are who are tweet storming you and realize that there's actually a good chunk that aren't 15. And scary. you start to it's so scary. When I got hired at, at BPM my first review was of the new Lady Gaga record and she has crazy fans too and I gave it like a I don't know I gave it like a 68 or something like I was like this is decent I like it it's not great whatever like it was fine but then I got instantly I got grown-ass men like other gay men calling me like a faggot for not liking it you know and it's like who 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 cares like she doesn't care she does not care at all. She has no idea you exist. And these Swifties, she has no idea they exist. No idea. I mean, I guess she might know they exist as a group, but like, she's not going to see your tweets defending her honor. Like, I just don't get what drives them. And then like with the Miley review, they were like, you need to take this down because her Metacritic score went down because of your review. And it's like, oh. what? You know? And it's like, what? She doesn't give a shit. Miley Cyrus, of all people, gives no shits about seriously stuff like this so it's it's the same across any fandom or standum or whatever you want to call it it's so toxic and also just so puzzling it really is because it's you know i i got a big heart for those stands i got a heart you know <laughs> like i see them defending their queen and i say go go you go you know you defend your queen but i yeah. want i want to reason with them i want them to right. know, look do you understand and I'm too, like, this is why I'm too, like, sometimes I'm too, like, self-serious or whatever. Because <laughs> I, like, I actually want to, like, go down each tweet and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, how old are you? <laughs> if you're, if you're over 16, like, let's talk about this. If you're under 16, I understand your brain isn't fully developed yet. And that's yeah. okay. Just, like, whatever. Just be nice. Don't be an right. asshole. Yeah, they're just so mean. And it just doesn't make sense to me. about it. And, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And it, it, they, they just, like literally they sit all day on twitter searching you know her name because it's, it's not like it's not like you tagged her 
you know? Dude, take up knitting or something. Like right. seriously, like at the end of the day, you'll actually have a sweater. Like, come on. <laughs> something you can <laughs> use. Yeah, like you're really just wasting your time. It's Oh, it's so true. Um, I just wanted to touch base with you on that because yeah, I, felt no, like, was... I felt like you deserved a chance Thanks. to explain because of that, oh. as always with her especially, but as always that whirlwinded very, very quickly. Yeah, it um, was, I didn't, I was not expecting it's almost, that. It's almost impressive. That was you know, funny. how committed and how impressed they are. Yeah. It is a way, but it can also, just, they can just, cross lines so easily though. I know, but I thought, okay, I gotta say, it, it was so funny because people, okay, all right. <laughs> I tweeted the thing, barely even thought about it. Like, whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? No one's gonna see this. All my fans get it. They know the content. Like anyone that's following me gets it, like whatever. But then like these, these stands would be like commenting on my photos like 48 hours after the tweet being like, Oh yeah, you got your 15 minutes of fame. That's what you were looking for. <laughs> it's like, all right, number one, number one, you're here because yeah. you're bringing the fame to me. You're the only one that cares. Nobody else cares. Yeah. Guess what? It's 48 hours later. The tweet's been deleted for two days. <laughs> oh my God. Where well, are you? you know they getting? screen grabbed it and they shared it on all their channels. It's so funny. It's like, I, I just, I just can't, I, I can't help but like laugh at just like the, the logic that these people use in their minds to like attack me. And it's like, it's so weird. You're only drawing more attention to me by doing this. Like I, I forgot about the tweet already. <laughs> no, it's true. And then like, I, I didn't, I didn't Google this or anything, but a lot of the times when this happens, like people literally write articles about it. Like, I don't know if anyone wrote one about you, but like, I could totally see like, uh, Zola Jesus is at war with. Yeah, the no, that happened. 50s. It did. Yeah, in Brazil, like it took <laughs> off in Brazil, and it was like Brazilian star like comments on the beef between Taylor oh Swift and Zola Jesus, and then the the Brazilian pop stars like I'm on I'm on Taylor Swift's side. She can do whatever genre she wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, I'm like, oh my what? god! You guys don't understand, and you're blowing this up. Like, what beef? Like, <laughs> I know there's no beef. She doesn't. She probably doesn't even know about it. And then all that's happening is they are extending your quote unquote 15 minutes of fame. I know. It's and like, then complaining about it. like you're like, all right, well, my band camp plays are going up. So I don't yeah, know exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I wanted to be like, I hope you guys don't stream my record on Spotify. <laughs> here's a link. Don't. Yeah. Click here's it. a link. Don't buy my record. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's just, I'm glad you can have a sense of humor about it because some people I think get really, really eaten up about it. Um, I mean, sometimes it's really serious. I know when folklore came out and pitchfork gave it an eight out of 10, I think it was Jillian Mapes got like her, her address got leaked. Her phone number got leaked. She was like being death threatened. Well, she got an eight out of 10. That's like basically I know, 10 out that's of a the 10. Other thing. <laughs> an oh. eight out of 10 is real good. That's pretty good. <laughs> man i got 5.9 like come on like eight is really good like you're fine like taylor swift is you know and that's the thing too it's like sorry i'm getting really worked up oh my it's gosh okay. I, I didn't so mean to work up. you up i know no no it just, it'll happen at this at the switch of a flip of a switch but um <laughs> the thing that is so frustrating is that it's like someone like taylor swift gets an 8.0 and she's got all the resources in the world and stuff. And then like someone that made the record in their bedroom gets like a 2.9. Cause it's like, it's so fuzzy. It's so, the songs <laughs> are so unfocused. It's like, it's one dude in, in his bed, in her bedroom. Or there's like one yeah. person in their bedroom. Like, I feel like it's really unfair to like review records without 
considering like the resources at hand because yeah, there's a context that I think is worth looking at. Totally. Because they don't exist in a vacuum. They don't. And so for for someone to be like, oh, these songs are unfocused or like whatever, whatever, like the songwriting. Or like this is, guitar sounds really cheap. Yeah. This sounds like a really cheap <laughs> guitar. Yeah. It's like, well, that's because I only had a hundred dollars. Yeah. It's like, come on. Like just, I think at some point you kind of like when listening to music that isn't made by major labels, you do kind of have to like, your ears need to have a little bit of an imagination because mm-hmm. it is, you know, it is possible to make good sounding music these days, but it's also still cost prohibitive to a lot of people. And totally. And also just like in terms of who you're working with, you know, like who you're, if you're working with other songwriters, some people have like six songwriters on each song on their record. It's like, that's very different. That's a different game, you know, yeah. people are playing, but no, totally. But also whatever, like reviews, Music journalism? Come on. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> I'll tell that to my boss. Eddie. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I like them. I think I think there is a, a space for reviewing where it is like considering the whole product and lo- maybe looking at it contextually and being upfront about the fact that it's all opinion, you know, like it, yeah. that's the thing that the yeah. stands never really get. Um that their opinion is really, truly no less or more valuable than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you get a 5.9 from Pitchfork, but then, you know, Stereo Gum gives you a nine, who cares? Yeah. Like, who really cares? And same with Taylor. If she gets an eight from them, great. If you think it's a 10, also great. Like, I just, I just, I don't get it. It's It's people that are choosing to interact with, it's just pop people. Like, pop yeah. people think about, music so differently than non-pop people because they're thinking about it. And this is what was so strange with the Taylor Swift drama was that they kept sort of trying to bring me down by calling me like a failure or a flop. Like they kept going (laughs) flop, 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 flop. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just like, son, like I'm not even trying. Like what the hell? (laughs) Like I'm not playing that game. I'm not in the market. I'm not. participating in the pop market this yeah. isn't pass fail this isn't flop or success this isn't about charts this isn't you can't about- you can't fail a course you're not taking exactly so it's <laughs> funny when they're like everything that they're saying to me is basically like they're basically saying like you're i don't know like the only thing they could attack me for was like my my like failure as like a capitalist commodity which is mm-hmm. like you know and it's and it's like you know what touche like i i <laughs> I learned because I did think that I needed that in order to feel accepted. And I learned that I don't, and I don't want it. And, and so it's like, what else do you have against me? You've got nothing like you can, you know what I mean? Like, again, like you said, it's like, I don't know. I'm not even trying. Yeah. And I mean, I've been, I also, um, I do video editing for the needle drop. Um, and he has, haters all the time i mean if he gives a record like a seven but they think it's a 10 they they never stop bothering him and I, i've been i've been working with him for like eight, almost nine years so i i know oh man you know like the people are crazy they like find him places they'll go wow. up to him at concerts because like I've, I've gone to local shows with him and there's always someone who comes up and is like you gave this a seven but it's a nine it's like oh my god yeah it's like you're why you're the only one remember <laughs> like <laughs> like why like he his most famous one i don't know if how familiar you are with anthony fantano but his most famous one is that he gave uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy a six 
Oh, that's, that's complicated. <laughs> but then you know what, when you average it out with like the 10 out of 10 pitch. Oh yeah. It's it, still like one of the most acclaimed albums of the decade. Like, and also like, do you like the album? Yes or no. It doesn't matter what it was given. Right. Like as that's an artist, I can tell you right now, if like, just because Pitchfork gave Tyga a 5.9, it will always be a 10 out of 10 in my heart. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. Exactly. No, it doesn't really matter. It really, really doesn't. It's all bullshit anyway. Especially these days. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I love music journalism because yeah, I love how it provides. No oh, good. I mean, it, it really, <laughs> it's, it's sorely missed. Like, I really miss it because it really does provide context and it, it's really gratifying to wake up on, you know, when day your record's out and you're like, oh, what do people think of it? You know, mm-hmm. and getting those takes, like what did people, what were their favorite songs? Like, what did they yeah. think this record was about? Like, I, I really like that. Like, it's well, exciting. It's yours, it's yours for so long. And then yeah. it's finally everyone else's. Totally. You know? It's like, yeah, it's, that's like the release day is, oh, it's like, it's every holiday combined for me. And then <laughs> and, uh, like for the, like, the first like two hours. And then when I realize yeah. <laughs> people don't like the record, it's the worst day. It's, it's like being in hell for the so rest you, of your you life. You do read the reviews. <laughs> um, I, I do. I, I read them a lot more when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Now I'm so like, I, un- I just, un- I get it. Like I understand like, yeah. whatever, but well, you're, you're older and wiser now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wisdom. Um, doesn't but you know, it's funny because, and, and I, 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 there's a lot of people and maybe even yourself included who music journalism, like truly in the beginning of your careers helped kind of expose to people. Because like, I, I mean, it's not even has nothing to do with the merit of someone's project. If it like, if it's not getting seen, it's not getting seen. Mm -hmm. And I would not have found out about you or countless other people that I listened to without bigger sites, like, you know, AV club and stereo gum and pitchfork, like for better or worse. Yeah. They are kind of the pipeline. And if we didn't have any of that, or magazines, or, you know, if we had none of that, like I wouldn't know half the people I listen to. So there is a, there is a place for it. Totally. And the fact that we're kind of losing it really makes me realize that mm-hmm. is how important it was mm-hmm. because now I'm like, where do I go? Like I, I look at stereo gum and but pitchfork mostly covers like mainstream stuff oh, now. Totally, so yeah. it's just not really, it bums me out. Cause it's like, we don't need to know what you think about the Taylor Swift record. It's kind of true. We We also don't really need you to tell me it's coming out because everyone else is. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) we're good. Like, I don't need to know what Pitchfork thinks about Evermore or whatever. It's like, I want to know, show me something that I don't know. Show me something that I don't know about. And like, because that's the thing, like no one really knew about my music and then Pitchfork and Stereo Gum and, and other sites picked it up and that was huge visibility for me, but it's like, mm-hmm. I want to see other people like get that visibility. And now they're having to fight for places with like Justin Bieber or something yeah. like, and I just don't think that that's like, that's not like super cool or whatever. Like, I don't think that's like, yeah. I don't like look to pitchfork for like what's new in music anymore. And I used to. I know it's true. I mean, every, every now and then they'll do a random review of something that I've never heard of. And I, it, maybe it has like a cool name or a cool album cover and I check it out and I'm like, Oh, okay, this is good. But yeah. it seems fewer and farther between these days. Yeah. The curse of Condé Nast, I guess. <laughs> oh, to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, 
So before we go, I just wanted to ask really quick, um, especially during this really weird year, uh, what are some things you've been listening to, watching, or reading, if okay. anything? Yeah. Music's been tough for me because I've been in such like a, it's so weird when you're writing music and then it's hard to know what to listen to, but I mostly <laughs> listen to like a like orthodox chant i don't know why oh sure <laughs> just like oh music died when like polyphony happened or whatever. <laughs> i'm like in that stage which i really need to get out of but um <laughs> but yeah also just i've been getting really into um uh like hermeticism and stuff like getting into more like uh theosophy and like um mm. esoteric kind of stuff so mm -hmm. mysticism and stuff like that so i've been reading a lot of books about that kind of stuff hmm. been cool watching um okay so there's a lot of things i've been watching but i just really because i really think it's the best thing to have come out in 2020 these are the two best things to have come out in 2020 okay and they're um i think that i consider them the best things because of the year it's been but mm -hmm. the best things for me have been the hbo show how to with john wilson oh i've which, been meaning to watch that oh it made me like it, it was the most humanizing. I'm going to start crying now, <laughs> but it's just like such like a funny, humanizing, beautiful, beautiful show. Please watch it. I will. Uh, and then the thing that another thing, like the things that I, I loved the most were things that made me cry from laughing so hard. So it's that and um, the new Tim Heidecker special. Like I, I, oh, I didn't even know about that. Time. It's I don't know, like maybe it just hits my sense of humor in the right way, but <laughs> I was dry heaving like after watching <laughs> it like i couldn't i was like purging like so much emotion from watching that because it was just like it just hit all the right spots um but yeah those are two kind of like non-goth things that i've been really into <laughs> non <-goth> things. <laughs> well that's not i mean that's very different than than your mysticism yeah well i like to so, laugh so. yeah and you dabble you know you dabble I um i know i, I was dabble in to, laughter <laughs> i was trying to think of i i have been such a bad television watcher this year i've been mostly watching like reruns of things i already like because it's so much easier yeah I feel um that. and i've been like needing that easiness i think um mm -hmm. but like i just watched for the first time ever like last week i just watched the great british bake-off oh oh which everyone loves and i, I do like it but it I, I, my... I don't know why i put it off for so long Oh man, it is, it is like my Benzo and my Ambien. <laughs> it is everything. It is. It's just so everything. comforting. Paul Hollywood, those eyes, that those silver. eyes made of ice. Such a fox. <laughs> I I've, really truly thought he was gay for about half the season. He's not? No, he's not. I looked it up. He seems asexual to me. It seems like he, whatever's he, going on is. He had a wife for a really long time, and I think he has at least one kid. And then he had a girlfriend like two years ago, and they've since broken up. But like, he seems to be not gay. He's married to the dough. You know he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't you can't break a man away from his dough when he's like that. When he's a, a baker, right? I don't know, but yeah. I, that, that's but an no, amazing I, show. I do like it. <laughs> um, one thing I was talking about because I've been watching it with my boyfriend, and I watch a lot of Food Network, and we were both struck by how nice everyone is <laughs> this is what i love because i love chopped and i love cooking i do shows love chopped i do too cooking shows are so relaxing because they're so um 
it's like everything is so divorced from like the the scary world of politics <laughs> and survival. And it's very routine. It's very it regimented. Just like, you just have to cook this thing and you either pass or fail. It's like, how is it? It's good. And it's also like food, <laughs> which we all need. Like, I don't know. Right. There's something. But yeah, so Food Network is too much like the, the editing is too tense. Like mm-hmm. there's too much like intense like music. And, you know, they're trying to make it into like this like fear factor, but like oh, yeah. for food. <laughs> yeah. But Great it's British like Bake Off. Yeah, it's like, yeah, 24. It's, but it's it's so stressful whereas great british bake-off is just like such a it's like a nice warm breeze because all the all the bakers are nice and on food network like kind of unchopped a lot of the time they're really mean you know like they get so competitive and they're in especially like in the interviews anyway they're very snippy and very bitchy but on 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 British Bake Off, they're just, just like so kind. Each other. They help each other. Like, they clap for each other. For something, yeah. Oh. When someone gets a bad review and they walk back all sad, someone goes, "Good job." This is the thing. Like, I feel like our world could look more like Great British Bake Off if we let it. But because of the forces that that you know are, we have a chopped. We're living in a chopped world. Where yeah. It's well, like we are. We, we only have, you know, if you look at a pie chart of how much we allow into our mediascape, it's like one percent for empathy. Yeah. And that's what oh. British Bake Off is to me. It's just so full of empathy. Like I don't want any of them to ever lose. Me neither. I know. <laughs> so Th- we were that's... just watching the newest season. It's we're we are at the finale now. I have to go back and watch the old ones. Oh, it is the thing that I love about it is, if I'm ever feeling down. Or if ever if I'm ever feeling a way, any way, any type of way, I'll mm-hmm. just put on any episode because it's like it doesn't really matter if I've seen it before. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. always new. Like I'm always kind of like, oh yeah, I didn't notice that before. I didn't notice that about their like eclair or whatever. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> oh that second layer on that cake. Yeah, I never, that vodka. I, never I didn't. It. <laughs> Let's stop and look at that oh, vodka. Also, they they cut they they make so many traditional British desserts that half the time I'm like, what is that? I have no idea what she's so talking strange. about. So <laughs> strange. The, the British diet. If you only watch Great British Bake Off, you'd have oh my no gosh. idea. I know. I'm like, what? What? she say what yeah. are they making <laughs> twofer yeah, yeah but i i do like it i have i have been enjoying it so i'm glad i finally caught up with that yeah <laughs> more um, empathetic empathetic yeah TV. no i know we need more empathetic tv i'm a huge empathy person more more of it the better me too um so this is thank you for talking to me this is by far my my longest episode yet oh yeah i'm sorry um, I go no i love it i i could talk for hours don't worry um, but thank you for being so game and being so open and coming to chat with me today, even though you really have nothing to plug. You just hear and shoot, shoot in the breeze with me. Yeah. You know, there's always <laughs> something to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a great time. I, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, have a good one and watch how to with John Wilson. It will make your day. I will. I will put it on my list at the top with a little, recommended by Zola Jesus. Okay, asterisk. Thank you. you. (laughs) All right, well, have a good rest of your evening. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.